Good Monday morning. Uh, if you did not hear last Monday morning, you'll need to go back and listen to that one. This is Who Told You About Hell, part two. We ended last week with a promise to take a look at what the word eternal and everlasting meant to the writers of the Old Testament and even the New Testament, for that word did not take upon its modern meaning until much later. It's hard to believe, I know. I, I know. So what I'm going to do is give you quite a few scriptures, actually, that you can go have a look at. And, and I'm not going to post them up here. I am not technically able to, at this time, uh, scroll those. But you can always, here's the beauty, hit pause, go back, and pick these up as we go. In Jude verse 7, for example, Sodom's fiery judgment is eternal. But Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 53 through 55, says that Sodom's fortunes will be restored by God that after the time of punishment. Eternal to them meant until it was over. I know, I know, that sounds like it's some progressive, you know, um, lefty way of explaining away the wrath of God. But no, no, it's in, it's all through here. For example, in uh, Zephaniah chapter two and verse nine, I mean, Zephaniah, who doesn't love Zephaniah? Uh, and it's also said in Jeremiah 25 and verse seven, that Ammon will be a wasteland forever and rise no more. But then Jeremiah 49 and verse six, later in the same book, says God will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites. They will rise no more. The destruct, there'll be a wasteland forever until God restores their fortune. You see, it meant until it's done. Until whatever purpose that it's, for which it started is over. And then the forever ends. The eternal doesn't mean what it means to us. There are more, um, and this one's a bit looser. Deuteronomy 23 and verse three. I refer to this one a lot when I talk about race and about scripture. Uh, the Moabites and the, um, the Ammonites were not allowed to enter the temple until forever. It, it, that's the point. It says you're not allowed to enter it forever until the 10th generation. By that, it just means that by that time, the forever purpose would have been fulfilled, so it ends. More and more. Um, and, and, and Habakkuk, I love Habakkuk. Habakkuk 3.6 talks to us about mountains that are everlasting until they're shattered. God shatters everlasting mountains. That's where, that's, a, that's an interesting compact verse for those of us that use the word eternal and everlasting to mean something completely different than Habakkuk did. The Aaronic priesthood was to be an everlasting priesthood. Exodus 40 and verse uh, 15, the Mormons and a few other smaller groups have made a great deal about that passage. This Aaronic, uh, the priesthood of Aaron, the Aaronic priesthood never ends until Hebrews 7 verses 14 through 18, which says, now it has. It'll go forever, not anymore. Because once again, the word forever doesn't mean to them what it means to us. The um, first Kings chapter eight and verse 13 says that God would dwell in Solomon's temple 
forever. Solomon's temple was destroyed. They built a much smaller one later. That one got knocked down a few times. We have, you know, a stone here, a wall there. Um, do we believe God dwells in there? According to Paul, no. Now, he tells us that here's where God dwells, in the lives of all, of all believers. In fact, I think Paul was actually a bit wider than that in that he meant human beings, but that Christians were in particular the temple of the Holy Spirit. Regardless, does God live today in the temple of Solomon? If you come back at me and you say, well, metaphorically, you see, this was a prophecy, don't you dare. Don't you dare. Because then I can come right back at you and say the entire concept of hell and heaven is a complete metaphor. And what are you going to do? You've already disarmed yourself. Instead, just let the scripture say what it says. And we understand then what the word meant to them. God dwelt in Solomon's temple until the temple was gone. And that meant he dwelt there forever until it was over. Hang in there. There's some more. Um, the law of Moses, uh, Levit Leviticus 24 and verse 8, was an everlasting covenant. I know of some Messianic Jews. I know of some uh, other groups that make a big deal out of this, that were still under the Mosaical law. Now, they... they they will split it into moral law, ceremonial law, and the like, because none of them is sacrificing you know, goats and oxen, and uh, none of them are doing those sorts of things. But they still say the law is binding on us. You know, the law was given by God. The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. The law is incredibly valuable and informative and instructive to Christian believers, no question. But Leviticus says, uh, again, Leviticus 24 and verse 8, that the Mosaical law was forever, an everlasting covenant, until 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 and forward say it was done away with. Quite the shock. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 13 says, it was an everlasting one until God made a new covenant. You see? This is all through, and I'm not by any stretch doing all of them. Uh, in the book of Jonah, one of my favorite books, um, God's wrath rolled over Jonah forever until the third day when he delivered him. Forever until three days later? Yep because the word forever means until his purpose is accomplished or until the purpose of whatever you're doing forever for is accomplished, then it's over. Three days, over. That, you ever pick up on that before? Uh, I'll just do a couple more of these. A bond servant in Exodus 21 and verse six, and yes, down the road, we've got to talk about slavery in the Bible. But in, in Exodus 21 and verse six, a bond servant was to serve his master forever. And that meant until he ceased to be. When he died, he no longer had to serve the bondmaster. And you might be saying, well, duh, wait a minute. Forever everlasting. Are you then agreeing that there are ways for forever and everlasting to, to end when a person ends? 
You see? I'm not trapping or tricking. I'm just pointing out this is what scripture says and we miss it because we always assume God talked in the same way back then as he does now and our words mean his words. As I pointed out repeatedly in a study in the book of Revelation that we did really early on and, uh, and after the birth of our Safe Harbor Church, he will constantly talk about their adultery, but the adultery there does not necessarily mean sex between people who are married but not to each other. That's the legal definition today. Back then, it, mean, it meant breaking covenant. And it could be breaking covenant with your neighbor by um, uh, you know, moving a boundary line. It could be breaking covenant with your wife by beating her. It could, you know, there were so many ways to break covenant. And that was all called adultery. We don't use that word that way. They did. It's important to figure out how they used the words. Because we're not supposed to be reading scripture from up here looking back with all of our cultural baggage. You'll never be able to read it without cultural baggage, but you should take as little as possible with you and then say, what did this mean to the writer? What did this mean to the hearers in their culture, in their place? Because we're reading their mail. When we're done with the series on hell, we're gonna actually take a look at how we got our Bible and you might be really surprised at how many times things changed and how culture impacted what was written. Regardless, there, our word eternal is just not the right word to use in all the passages I just went through. If we were writing it today, we would have to find another word you know, for a length of time. Uh, I'm, well, I'm not gonna go through it for you. Uh, we don't have that kind of time. There's, there's also the problematical way of uh, uh, saying of Jesus in Luke, chapter 12, verse 47 and 48, when he talks about eternity there, just go have a look. He says that those who know the Father's will and refuse to obey, some will be beaten with many stripes, but some with few. Punishment is not one size fits all. Luke 12, 47, 48, punishment, the eternal eternity of being lost differs for different people. It means something different. And why would one punish one with few stripes or many stripes if you weren't intending for their behavior to be different after the punishment? Hmm. Well, when I was a boy, I was told that what this meant, and it's just amazing what we do to make what we already believe makes sense when it doesn't. I was told many times, well, what this means is that some people who've never heard about God and never heard about Jesus, you know, some little girl in Iran who is blown up by a terrorist, uh, and she'll only receive a few stripes. Hell won't be quite as painful for her throughout all eternity and billions of years as it will be for the Christian in, let's say, Madison, Wisconsin, who turned their back on Jesus and decided he, they want, he or she wanted nothing to do with God. They will, hell will be worse for them because they'll realize, I could have gotten out of it. I believe that both of these things are a monstrous slander upon a God who defines himself as a God of love and sent Jesus to save the whole world and gave us the grace which has appeared 
unto all men. And a God that is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We need to rethink some things. Jesus never defines what he said, never explains what he says. And to me, that is exceptionally important because if what he had said was passingly odd to the people there, Luke would have expounded on it. Somebody would have written more about it. And they didn't because they understood the wrath of God to be limited and to be measured, not willy-nilly. Well, think of Jesus clearing the temple. I've heard sermons about where he got so angry and in his wrath, he, well, wait a minute, he took time to make a scourge. So this wasn't a momentary flash of wrath. When he went into the temple, he overthrew the tables of the money changers. He drove the cattle out, but he didn't touch the bird people. He said, take your birds and get them out. This is not a God with unmeasured wrath. You can always pick up your money later and set your tables up. You can always go get your cattle. They don't go far. You can always bring them back in. But if you were to overthrow the tables of, the, of those selling birds, the birds are gonna go and you're not getting them back. So Jesus measured his response and his action. God always does. He measures his wrath and he limits it in force and in time. And if you don't believe me, read the Bible. And then remember the words eternal. In the last few years, when people ask me if hell is eternal, I've changed my answer. I used to try to explain to them the nuance and I would say, yes, but that doesn't mean what you think it means. But um, I, I now have to find a way to say it in a different way. There are many people uh, that in, have had great influence on me in my life. Al Maxey is one, uh, and another would have to be Edward Fudge. Uh, Edward Fudge did the, uh, a book called The Fire That Consumes, which was a great scandal in the Churches of Christ in which he served as a minister and an elder all of his life. But he was a scholar and he looked and saw these words and he said, wait a minute, hell is not what we think it is. He was an annihilationist, which means hell is eternal, but the lost people aren't. Uh, people who are lost are thrown into hell, but that doesn't mean they're burning. It means they're gone, they're consumed, it's over. I'm actually not on that page. I go further, but I'll, I'll hold that and a wise until later. But I will tell you this, I do not believe in a God that loves you so much that if you never got to hear the name of Jesus in your lifetime because of your government, because your culture, because of your isolation, you will burn forever in a fiery pit of flame. That's a slander on the name of God. And we gotta stop it. Because the Bible says that the gift of eternal life comes through Jesus Christ. It's not inherent in human beings to live forever. We were not born this body gives us no sign that we were created to live forever. It is God who gives us that ability or who withholds it. So what happens? Well, um, 
again, Edward Fudge would say that they are annihilated. Jesus with a few stripes and many stripes and a host of other scriptures we will look at later seems to indicate that punishment only lasts for a certain time for some, very little for some, a lot for others, but eventually we will be purified. And this is where, yes, this is where the Catholics came up with the concept of purgatory. That's not a word found in scripture. And what purgatory developed into is not found in scripture at all. And it, it even became and remains a money-making uh, doctrine in that you can pay somebody to be praying so uh, for the lost one in your family so that they get out of purgatory sooner. Uh, during the time of Martin Luther, one of the great scandals were that people were going around offering, uh, if you pay to the church such and such, they will spring you your, your loved one from purgatory. They will, your poor, poor wife, she was a wonderful wife. She was a lovely wife, a holy woman of God, so she was. But no human being is perfect, and therefore she must burn in hell for a thousand years. They would make up the number for every single thought she had wrong, for every failure in her life. But, but you, you with the simple applications, a few kreutzers, shillings, francs, whatever it is, into the box of the church can spring your dear sweet wife from the horrible torments. They don't do it that openly, but there's still a lot of that going on. And these medieval abhorrent practices still hold on. I'm not, by the way, if you're a Catholic, I love you. I consider you a brother and a sister. I'm not slamming you. All of us have to get past these medieval abhorrent faith practices and ideas that we have inherited from people who didn't ask the simple question, who told you that? And trace it back. Well, does hell last forever? Well, it seems that hell does, but do those that enter hell last forever? No, no, not at all. Forever means, uh, according to a very recent commenter on, uh, on how to read and the structure of language in scripture, hell means until God's purpose has been fulfilled. And it's certainly in scripture, if you read and you just find it, you'll find it has a very elastic meaning in scripture, not the final meaning that we give it. Some will counter, well then how long will we stay in heaven? if hell is temporary, super quick, or a little slower for others. Because the word eternal, in fact, I had a preacher once, well, I, the Bible says that we're gonna, you know, some will be in eternity in hell and others in eternity with heaven, and I certainly hope I'm with God more than a moment. That, that had a sound of logic and piety, but it possesses neither. Because until God's purpose is fulfilled, and he shows us his purpose is that we will live with him forever. And his word forever means a lot different there because his purpose is still being fulfilled in us. We're living with him as opposed to what's going on with hell. It's a very common issue. It's a very common issue. A, a, a God of heaven is not gonna put us into heaven and then after a while kick us out of heaven because his entire purpose was to get us there. 
That's why he sent Jesus. Why would he, why would he send Jesus? If his intention was to save one half of 1%, and I'm making up numbers here, I'm not doing the math, one half of 1% of all people who ever live, and the rest of them have to burn forever because he's a God of love. That drives people away from God in droves. We need to look at this further. But we've gone 20 minutes, and that's way long for Monday morning message. Thank you for being with us. Part three comes next week. May God bless you.